Coming up next, a podcast from Don and Becky Smith on their newest curriculum, Heart and Soul. This is session number one. Each of us is here to work on our own marriage issues. So what we want to do is encourage you. We're not here to fix other marriages. We're here to work on ourselves. And uh, also, just encourage you, uh, if you do um, share, uh, we don't want you to embarrass your spouse in any way. So uh, I would suggest just using I statements, uh, you know, speak for yourself. Uh, Usually that doesn't happen, but once in a great while it might. And so um, um, we just share that. Um, The other thing I want to say is uh, with... We'd love for you to keep confidentiality. Um, so if anyone says anything in class here, um, which may happen, uh, sometimes it does, um, we want to keep it in the class, okay? Because we want everyone to feel safe um, and just uh, this is a safe place. So uh, please don't share things outside of the class. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> the other thing I'd say is, uh, come each week. Each week builds on the, pre, uh, the, the previous week. And uh, our goal is tonight's a little bit different because everybody's registering, but uh, we'll try to start right on time and end on time. And um, if there's a problem, you can't make it or such, uh, if you want to just give the office a call and just say, hey, I won't make it tonight, uh, that kind of helps us plan a little bit. And not that it makes a big difference, but um, we'll be glad to help you if you need that. Uh, there's this other sheet that we'll refer to in a little bit once we get into the class tonight. Um, I put up here because I don't see it on the information form, but uh, here's our email address also, and I'm also giving you my cell phone number. Um, it is um, there if you need it. Uh, don't take advantage of it, but uh, we want to be available to you and help you in any way we can. So. Um, there's information there to kind of help you uh, if you need to connect. Uh, Usually what we say is um, if the weather is bad, um, we usually hold class. Um, What we will attempt to do, so make sure we have all your emails, is we will put an email out and say class has been canceled because of the weather. But between now and November, that's usually not an issue. It's more our January class. Uh, that weather becomes an issue. So um, I don't think that will be a problem, but uh, hopefully uh, we do have your email address. Um, Let's see, I had one more. One of the things we'll do is we'll take a break halftime, so we go until 9 o'clock, and through that door as you face the back to the right, uh, you walk through there and kind of around, and there's streets in the window there uh, that uh, the gals make available for you. So you don't starve to death during the last these two hours. Uh, there's coffee, decaf, there's pop, there's water, uh, if you would like it, and uh, want you to feel as comfortable as possible. Um, let's see, Becky, I you probably haven't been listening, but is yeah, you haven't been in here. So I was wondering if there was anything I missed. <laughs> um, the restrooms are right um, as you face the back to the left and uh, go through that door and to the left is the restrooms and feel free to go there too. Um, 
So, I think that is it. Um, I'm sure we'll think of some things, and we'll mention those as we go. Um, Let me introduce you to your workbook, just a moment. Uh, Each uh, each lesson... um, Some of you have already looked at your workbooks, but um, at the end of each lesson is a little bit of homework that uh, we encourage you to go over each week. Like on page 17, if you look at your book, uh, there's a kind of, we call them exercise, for you to work on. And what we're hoping is that you will take the time to uh, kind of think through some of those questions We're not going to have you answer those questions out loud in class, but um, the more you put in the class, the more you're going to get out of it. And what I would encourage you to do to get the most out of a lesson is to read the lesson before we have the class. So like for next week, if you could read lesson two, uh, as we flow through it, uh, it'll come together a little bit more for you. So um, anyhow, I encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, in some of the lessons, we have some things you can fill out in class that we'll work through. And um, the thing I want to say is don't force your spouse to do the homework. There's some spouses that perhaps are here that really don't want to be here. Um, and, and one is feels kind of pressured into it. And the other one is eager to somehow uh, go through things. And... Uh, you know what? We're here to work on ourselves, not to force our spouse to do anything. And uh, let's just let uh, God work on what they need to. And so sometimes there's conflict like, you know, my spouse isn't doing the homework and I'm doing it and I feel like they should be doing their part. Um, For right now, just concentrate on your part, uh, if you would. Uh, So this is Becky. And... um, um, so welcome up here. Thank you. So uh, everything went okay back there? So good. Uh, each week uh, when you come in, um, if you could sign in, there's a, a, a attendance sheet there. Uh, tonight you should have signed your name, and each week there's a little box to check off. If you can do that, there's a couple of reasons we ask you to do that. One is um, if you miss a class and you say, okay, we missed a class, and which one did we miss? We can tell right away by looking at the attendance sheet. And the other one is, is at the end of the class, we give you a certificate of completion, and if you have all those little boxes checked, you can pay money for the classes you missed, and no, I'm kidding. Um, But if you have all those boxes checked, um, you know, we'll, you'll get a diploma at the end of the series. A certificate. Certificate. A it's the same to me. So, well, um, let's uh, kind of just do a little bit introductory stuff. Um, so this is Becky and I. Um, on the left, that's a makeup couple. Uh, we stuck in there. But, uh, no, truthfully, that is us uh, 45 years ago. And um, someone said, uh, so the marriage, or the marriage, the picture on the right is a picture of us probably a few years ago. It's not 10 years ago. Um, We look better now. Um, No, it couldn't be that far. I don't know. Um, 
so anyhow, uh, someone asked, so, um, you know, what do, how, do you, how do you feel after uh, so many years of marriage? And, um, uh, you know, it amazes me what we go through in our marriage relationship that we never dreamt um, possible. When we get married, we just think we'll be happily ever after. And a lot of things take place. And we'll talk about those. But uh, one of the things I, I said to our friends is, look what, uh, you know, 45 years of marriage will do to you. You don't look the same anymore. So um, we have six children. This, this picture is uh, about six years old. Um, but um, uh, just quickly, and the reason I'm showing this to you is because we're going to probably make comments about our family as we're going through it. Our oldest is Tanya on the far left next to Becky. Our, our son, she um, is local here in Muskegon. If some of you know um, the little uh, shop uh, new to you in Roosevelt Park, that's her store. Um, Chad up there on the far left is a missionary in Guatemala and uh, with World Orphans. Uh, Tammy uh, lives in Detroit with her family, inner city ministry. Josh um, up there is, um, he's a district manager for Starbucks, and so um, you'll see we have Starbucks cups and some coffee and such here. It's uh, because of him. Christy, um, all the kids are married uh, there, and uh, she lives in Fruitport area. And then Andres um, is not married. And um, we adopted him in 2005 when he was nine years old, and now he's 23 and uh, lives with us. He, uh, he works for Starbucks, and uh, so um, that's kind of our family. And uh, then if you put everybody together, uh, there's two kids missing, but um, as you can see, uh, it multiplies like rabbits, okay? So um, there's with spouses, and um, uh, there's something unique about our family. Uh, it's kind of uh, international family. Um, so um, let's see, let's see. Uh, Chad and his wife uh, adopted little Sam here just a few years ago. Um, he's from Guatemala. Um, then we adopted uh, Andres right here. And then uh, Josh's uh, wife is Filipino. She's from the Philippines, and this is uh, their kids. And then Tammy married Charles and uh, their kids. So we, we have an international family that we very much enjoy and um, multicultural. So that kind of represents our family, okay? So the question to ask is, um, how did you guys end up here, and what are we doing here, and how did we get here? <clears throat> and so I want to tell you just a moment about the first couple that we worked with, uh, Dan and Jody Spira. Maybe there's a few of you that know Spira family, but... Uh, in 1979, Becky and I moved to Michigan, or to Muskegon, uh, from Montana, and uh, I was working for a nonprofit organization, 
And one day, Jody came to my office and just said, Don, I'm filing for divorce. I don't want to be married anymore. And my husband isn't taking it well. And uh, she says, I'm concerned about him. And she says, you seem like the type of person he might talk to. Would you be willing to talk with him? And, um, you know, when I went to Bible college, uh, they didn't tell you how to sit and talk with people. They just told you, here's what you believe. It's like, what do I say to this guy? So I, I met him in his home as we sat across the dining room table. And he just wept and said, Don, <clears throat> I want my wife and three children back. I don't want a divorce. And his wife had just kind of given up. Uh, basically, she, uh, she described him and he agreed. He was basically a couch potato. Uh, he would work all day and... Um, he would come home, have a few beers, lay on the couch, watch TV, fall asleep, and repeat that. And so she was just very lonely. She had a lot of uh, wounds deep inside of her also, and um, she just wasn't happy. And so what happened was um, she filed for divorce. Um, so he and I began to meet with each other, and in the process of that process of uh, meeting with him, uh, I, I just said, Dan, you got to work on yourself. Because he kept saying, Don, I want my wife back. And I said, you can't change her, but you can work on the things you need to. But I said, you need God's help to do that. And um, I said, uh, it first starts with a relationship with God. And he says, well, how do you do that? And I explained, I said, can I share the plan of salvation? And he said, uh, yes. And I shared what it means to have a relationship with God. And I said, do you want to do that? And he says, I can't do that. And I said, how come? He said, because I'd only be doing it to get my wife back, and I know that's not the right reason. And I said, well, I, I respect that. And so for the next three months, we continued to meet. And every time he would say, but Don, you know, I want my wife back. And uh, finally, um, he just, uh, one night, I was dropping him off at his apartment, and he said, Don, I want to accept Christ tonight as my Savior and God truly made a huge change in his life. Um, um, you know, he, he just began to have some real peace inside and began to work on some things. And his wife noticed the changes over the next few months. So she dropped the divorce and said, you know what, uh, I, I think there's really been a change. And uh, so she dropped the divorce. Um, a number of months went by, and um, she came to our house and said, um, I'm still not happy. Yes, he's changed, but I'm not happy. And I want out of the marriage, and this time no one's going to talk me out of the marriage and, um, or to stay. So she, uh, she filed for divorce, left. She gave him the house. She gave him custody of the children, everything. All she wanted was her clothes and one car, let me go. And so uh, she left. And um, some months went by. And Becky can tell you. Well, before the divorce was um, final, she, um, I ran into her at the grocery store. And so I asked her, you know, how are you doing? Because I hadn't seen her. She had just kind of avoided us. And she said, well, the divorce is going to be final on Friday. And uh, I said, well, do you have anybody going with you? And she said, well, no. I said, well, I'll go with you. And she said, well, why would you do that? I know it's against everything you believe. And I said, well, I don't believe in divorce, but you're still my friend, and 
and I'll go with you. So she said, I'm the black sheep of the family. Nobody wants to have anything to do with me. And I said, well, I'll go with you. Well, that was my first time in divorce court, and I was, I was saddened just to see how easy it is if it's not contested. It's just, you know, this, this, sign papers, and you're divorced. And because um, the kids were, they were teenagers by then, I think. But, um, and so I gave her a hug and told her, you know, we cared for her very much and that if she needed us, we were there for her. And um, that was it. But Don kept meeting with Dan in the meantime, and he was praying very much for his um, wife to just, you know, come back to God and just uh, get her, you know, just work things through. And so, can I go on with this story? Go ahead. So one night, about four months later, she shows up on our doorstep. Well, at that time, I we had um, four little kids expecting our fifth. And if you know anything about little kids, you know, anytime somebody comes over, they come running in and they have to show off or talk or whatever. And God just kept the kids outside. And she sat down with me and she just said, I'm a mess. She said, everything I thought was going to work out has not worked out. And the grass isn't greener on the other side. And I, I just have no place to go. And so we talked, and we decided um, that she could move in with us if she could put up with four little kids and another one on the way, um, especially with just one bathroom with that many, too. But, but she said, okay, contingent that we would meet with her every other night. We had no idea what we were going to do because we didn't have any material to teach her or anything. It was just We just felt the need to help her. So we, she moved in. We uh, began to meet with her every other night. And uh, so like two or three months went by. She had the head knowledge, but it never got here. She just had a lot of wounds from her past. And, um, and so she had been going to some counselor in Grand Rapids for almost eight years and just never resolved some of those things. And so what we said is, you know, you know it. But uh, it's, it's missing here. So we sent her up to Pentwater. We had some friends who had a cottage up there. And, um, and they allowed her to stay there. And she stayed there a couple of days uh, just fasting and praying. Say, Lord, and we gave her some things to kind of work through. And uh, amazing, she came back and said, for the first time, I feel loved by God. She, he, she said, God met me there. And she came back a different woman. And so what she did is she... Um, um, middle of the night, about two in the morning, she calls her ex-husband, and they meet at Denny's. Den- Back then, Denny's was kind of the place we met, okay, and because uh, they were open all the time. And uh, we met at Denny's, or she met her ex at Denny's and said, I want to ask for forgiveness for how I've hurt you and the kids. I don't want to get back together, but I know I've hurt you, and I want to ask for forgiveness. And, uh, and he said he could forgive her. Uh, but they begin to be friends again, and uh, a few months later, they remarried each other as Becky and I stood up with them. To this day, they are still married, and uh, they live in Tennessee, and they help marriages down there in their church. And uh, so God has been using them. So that was our first couple. Um, she had a sister who was going through a divorce, and so was asked if we would help her 
then she had a, a neighbor across the street who was going through a divorce. Would you help her? And so pretty soon we were working with three different marriages, four, five. And so each night of the week, we would sit down with a different couple. Plus, I had a full-time job. Plus, we had four, five kids by then. And it's like, this is crazy, you know? And, uh, and it began to, to grow. And so we said, we've got to put them together in a class. And so we began to do that. <clears throat> the first class, um, I don't know, had something like 18 or so in it. Um, that continued to grow until in the first part of 83... We had 45 different marriages we were working with. And uh, like, what do we do? You know, we're, this is overwhelming. And uh, so we kind of put a fleece out to the Lord and just said, in the next 30 days, either significantly increase or decrease the amount of people we're working with. And it, by at the end of the 30 days, we will determine, one, we just work with less couples. We'll help a few couples and leave it as that because I have a full-time job. Or number two, we will take and I will resign my job and we'll do marriage ministry full time. So in 30 days, we went from 45 couples to 65 couples. And uh, so I resigned my job. And uh, by faith, we started Bridge to Life Ministries. Um, it was not an easy thing um, because we had to go around asking people, would you support this ministry that we're starting? So it wasn't like someone was writing us a paycheck. Uh, we were... We're like missionaries, okay? And, uh, and it was rough the first uh, few years, but um, <clears throat> we trusted God in the midst of that, and the ministries continued to grow. Uh, we have over 60-some um, uh, churches that have learned this program and are teaching it in um, their churches across the U.S. We also have international ministry, uh, we have a couple on staff in India, India couple, uh, that have established Bridge Life chapters in 17 cities in India, and uh, they take it very seriously over there. We also have ministry in Guatemala and Czech Republic. In fact, the first week of October, I will be gone, and I'll be in Czech uh, doing training and teaching over there. So... Um, uh, Doug Moorhead will be filling in uh, while I'm gone for the one week. <clears throat> but uh, the ministry is growing is what I'm trying to say. And we're thankful for that. We realized a few years ago we need, the ministry is growing, we need more space. Some of you, you folks took it in North Muskegon, right? And uh, it was a small little place, right? And, uh, and we realized we're outgrowing that. And... Uh, so we begin to pray about a building, and uh, the Lord led us to this building, and it's, it's a miracle in itself uh, how this happened, but uh, we had a budget of 150000 to purchase a building. They wanted 375000 for this building. Uh, anyhow, it all turned out this way, that we offered one hundred and fifty. They owed the bank, and they were foreclosing on them, 210000 they countered 185,000, and so um, we countered. We'd say we do. We counter one time. We countered um, 165,000 dollars for the building, and they turned it down. So we walked away. A couple weeks went by. They approached, came, called us, called me back, and said, um, "Are you going to accept our deal, the 185,000?" And I said, uh, "No, we turned it down. Didn't you hear that?" And they said, "Well, we really thought you would accept it." 
but since you won't accept ours, we'll accept yours. So we got this whole building for $165,000. Unfinished, also. It was a shell of a building, and then we begin to raise money uh, to f- design it, finish, build the walls, and uh, so what you see is what we built, um, and uh, it's totally paid for. We built as we had the money, so we thank God for what He's provided, so we can be here for you. So that's how we got here, and kind of the history. Um, and during that time, we. Um, have worked on material and just um, what will effectively help um, couples work through issues. And so that's what we're walking through uh, as we go through this. So um, I don't know, any comments you want to make about that? That's our commercial, folks. So any questions about anything? I've covered a lot of things here before we jump into our lesson. Okay. Um, I want to share a... uh, Well, when okay. you've been married for a long time, okay, about- okay, I want to I want to play this for you. Um, one of the churches in the Detroit area, and Novi to be exact, um, do our program, and um, they've had over a thousand people from their church go through the program, and um, so this is one of the couples from that. I just want you to hear their testimony, their story, um, briefly about. Um, what, what they got out of it. Eventually you just get into this this pattern and that's what happens. We were, we were just... To be who I am and to be okay with it. And it's, it's our hope that um, as you go through the course and we go through this journey together that it'll kind of just help you understand what's really going on inside of you. Why do you do and relate the way you do? And uh, what is it that uh, will help you love well in your marriage relationship? So if you turn in your... um, um, uh, workbook, um, yeah, that's going to come up in a little bit. So... Uh, so we're on lesson one, page one there, putting your marriage in perspective. So what we want to do is, is just tonight, we want to just look at some of the basics about really looking at your marriage relationship in a way that understands what do we really need to work on. So I want to show you this um, uh, picture here. It's, uh, I'm not sure which rock this is, but it's from the southwest, uh, probably somewhere in Arizona or Utah. But um, when I look at that, and, and by the way, one of the things is I'm, I kind of take interest in this. I was raised in New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, my parents were uh, missionaries to the Navajo Indians, and so at the age of three, I moved there. So um, uh, I, I love this sort of thing, even though there's no grass and water. But... Um, I look at it, and I wonder, how in the world does this big stone just balance there? Um, and it's been there for probably thousands of years, but it just balances there. And the same thing comes to when I look at marriages. One of my f- favorite pastime sports is uh, when I sit in a restaurant, sitting and looking at couples and how they relate to each other. Have you ever noticed some couples can devour the whole meal meal? and never say a word to each other. And others of, of them just kind of talk away 
And then you see some of these old couples, they sit on both sides of the booth because uh, they want to be close. And uh, you, you see all sorts of things and some bickering and fighting, and you can hear them in other booths. But the idea is, my question is, what keeps them together when sometimes they look very unhealthy? And I want to simply say that God has designed something deep inside of us to connect. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, it says that God created um, uh, Adam, and it says it's not good that, be he, that he be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You see, he was made for relationship, and there's something in us that says, I want to, no matter what difficulties we go through, I, I want to be with this person. But in the midst of that, we try to help each other, but sometimes we don't help well. And so let me show you this little video. And sometimes I feel like that in the sense of I feel like I'm trying to help Becky pat her on the back, and it, and it goes, uh, Is that a love pat? it's a love pat, yes, but it doesn't turn out so good, okay? So um, I don't know about you, what you've been trying to do in your marriage to make things go better, but sometimes it, it doesn't go so well. So um, what I want to do is focus on, so what is the process we're going to go through and if you would flip over just a couple pages to a page that looks like this. I want to explain it here to you just briefly. But basically, we're on a journey here uh, for a healthy relationship. And let me share the process we're going through. You see there's pillars there uh, of this uh, bridge. And the first one is, has to do with understanding our story. Now, some of you may be familiar with understanding your story. You've been for counseling or you read some books and such. And by that, we simply mean what factors from your past have affected how you see yourself, your identity, how you look at relationships, how you attach, and uh, what you're looking for in a relationship. We've all been affected in some way by our past, whether we like it or not. Some better than others. But regardless, we've all been affected. And so we begin by looking at our story, and that's what next week and the week after we'll be looking at. The second part of the pillar here uh, we're looking at is this affects the way that we relate. And Becky and I will be sharing a little bit with you tonight, but um, there's certain things that from our story that affects each other in our marriage relationship. And usually, we hurt each other as a result of that. We don't always love well, which represents the third pillar, which is repent. In other words, I need to deal with that. I need to repent of that and say, that is not healthy to do. I want to do the right thing. And so we have to take ownership of it. And the fourth pillar is uh, restore. How do I restore my marriage relationship? How do I restore my relationship with God in a way that he can work through me to love well and to be who I am designed to be. And so this is the process, the bridge we're going to be taking you through. If you look on the uh, sides here, uh, on the left-hand side, we just talk about how do you feel? And perhaps some of you at this point feel like, I'm alone, I feel hopeless in my marriage, I'm hurting, I'm afraid, I'm broken, maybe I'm just plain numb, I've been through so much, I'm angry, I'm ashamed, empty, closed, anxious, betrayed, and I'm sure the list could go on. Our hope is, 
is that when you finish the course, you will have some degree of feeling some freedom, love, openness, restoration, stability, safety, security, hope, peace, honesty, community, intimacy. In other words, some aspect of healing. But I want you to say there's no magical thing that will happen when you get to the end of the class except to the degree that we're really willing to look inside and see what God wants to do. And um, the truth is, we're always learning. Becky and I have been married um, 45 years. 45, yeah. I get it mixed up. Bridge to Life is 36 years old. We've been married 45. Sometimes I feel like I'm married to Bridge to Life, so I get confused, okay? But, um, but um, you know what? We're still learning. It, uh, even though we've been teaching this class for years, uh, there's things that come up that we're, we have to stop and say, where, where did that come from? Or what's going on behind this? And what are some things we need to talk about? So we're continuing to uh, learn and uh, apply things as God uh, shows us. Uh, there's a sheet that you were given tonight. Um, this right here. And uh, so... what what is there about marriage? And this is just kind of a helpful little illustration here. Becky will read to you. Marriage box. Most people get married believing a myth that marriage is a beautiful box full of all the things they have longed for. Companionship, sexual fulfillment, intimacy, and friendship. The truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. You must put something in before you can take anything out. There is no love in marriage. Love is in people, and people put it into marriage. There is no romance in marriage. People have to infuse it into their marriages. A couple must learn the art and and form the habit of giving, loving, serving, praising, keeping the box full. If you take out more than you put in, the box will be empty. So with that in mind... um Hopefully, we're going to invest in our box and, uh, and build the love that needs to be there. Um, there there's a video here. Um, I hope it works. It worked before class started. But uh, sometimes when we go to work on our marriage relationship, we're working on the wrong things. And this illustration just kind of nails it, okay? So... I think that speaks volumes. Um, here's, here's kind of what's going on. I think a lot of us feel like, but Don, I have tried to work on my marriage, and I've tried certain things, and it just hasn't worked. What we hope that this class will help you see some things that might help you really work on the right things that need to be addressed. So <clears throat> I want to talk about when we first get married. Um, so let me tell you about Becky and I. Um, Becky and I met uh, while I was in college. She was visiting some, her uh, 
sister and husband who I was living with, and we met each other. Uh, I thought she was cute. Um, she was gullible. She laughed at my jokes. And so anybody who, I tell my sons uh, before they got married, um, I, I said, only marry a girl if she laughs at your jokes. And the day she stops laughing at your jokes, your marriage is in trouble. And um, because it's a good barometer how she really feels about you. And, um, but anyhow, uh, Beck and I seem to hit it off. And um, I was scared to death to uh, ask her on the first date. Um, Becky had come to visit her sister and brother-in-law where I was living, and uh, uh, I thought I would take her to, we were living in Kansas City, and I would take her to the ice capates that night. And I, I didn't have very, I, I hardly had any girlfriends, Okay. Uh, in college or high school because I was terrified of being rejected. You know, as long as you don't ask, you can't get rejected. And so, uh, but how do, I, how, do you, how do I ask Becky for a date? And so um, we're having dinner, and um, I still hadn't asked. Her sister says, Don, you better ask Becky if you're going to go. And uh, so what happened? Well, we were eating dinner, and, and my sister asked him to come help her in the kitchen, and he was, she was coaching him to ask me. And he said, yeah, 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 I will. And he just still didn't ask and didn't ask. Finally, my sister says, Don has something he wants to ask you. So, uh, so I said, you wouldn't want to go to ice capades, would you? And, uh, and so... Uh, I said, of course. Yeah, she would love to. So uh, we quickly got in the car, went downtown Kansas City to where the ice capades were. We got there, and they were sold out. And so that's not a good way to start a first date. And so I joke... Of course, he says, well, we could sneak in behind the curtain there and get in for free. And I just... Mm-hmm was mortified, and he said, I'm kidding, kidding. So so we went down the street, and she's in a dress, so we can't go bowling or something like that. I don't know why I was wearing a dress. I have no idea, but it was cute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, we got a newspaper. What's what's the movie showing? (laughs) And um, so one thing you have to understand is back then, um, I was raised in a very conservative Christian home. You don't play cards, you don't dance, you don't go to movies, okay? As long as you do those things, you're being pretty good. Plus, he was going to Bible college, and he signed a, a commitment that he wouldn't attend a movie. I didn't know that. So, I pretended like I was cool at all this, and uh, we got a newspaper, found a, what was the name of it? Monkey Business. Monkey Business, Walt Disney one. With Kurt Russell. And so we went to the movie place, and I had never bought a ticket, so I kind of watched the people in line. How do they buy a ticket? We go into the theater. It's already started, so it's dark. And we sit down, and almost immediately, Becky gets up and moves two seats over. And I just look, I'm terrified being in there to start with. Never been in a theater and uh, I always heard horrible things happen in there. started, so it's dark. So, so we take in... Um, I can't get his attention. 
he's like looking forward and not well, and trying to tell him the seat next to him, the seat was out. The cushion was the gone. The cushion was just pretty well gone. And I, was, I moved two down so that he wouldn't sit in that seat. But I had to get up and walk over and touch him and say. Well, I thought she didn't trust me, okay? <laughs> so she moved away from that me. bad things happen in movie yes. theaters. So I thought, oh, she doesn't trust me, so. Okay, we'll watch the movie separately, I suppose. So uh, that was our first date. Um, all that led to Aster to marry me, and um, we met before the pastor, and um, he says, I want to meet with you guys and do premarital counseling. And so he asked this question, Don, do you love Becky? And I said, yes. And he said, even if she has curlers in her hair and... Um, and such, and I said, well, I've never seen her with curlers in her hair, but I can't imagine that would change my mind marrying her. And uh, yes, I would marry her. And he asked her a question, do you love Don even if something? And um, she said yes. With that, he opened up his Bible and read First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, and so on, and closed his Bible, and we began to make the wedding plans. That was our premarital counseling. I had no idea what marriage was about other than what I observed from my parents. And second is I had no idea what a need, the needs of a woman would be, a, a wife, other than I'm in love with her, and surely uh, we should be happily ever after. Uh, no one ever told me that when a wife says this, she really means the opposite of that, and there's a certain language you have to understand. It's just love should make all this work. Um, a, a language? A language. Yeah, it's very complicated language. So um, I like the book. Have you ever seen the book? It's all you need to know about women, and you open it up, it's all blank pages. <laughs> so, um, well, I'm the teacher right now. So, um, but. Uh, I'm saying that to say I had no idea what marriage was about. I was not prepared for things, conflicts, Becky's needs. Um, And I would say that's probably the case for most of us. Uh, Fortunately, maybe some of you younger ones had better premarital counseling than that. But generally speaking, there was a time where there wasn't much premarital counseling. And so... When we get married, we don't realize that there are needs in the relationship. Our spouse has certain needs, certain fears that are going on. And um, we kind of wake up after we get married and say, how did we get here? What, how did things go wrong? And uh, one of the things, um, some years ago, well, I, I go every year to Czech Republic. But one time, a few years ago, I was teaching. And I said, we have a saying in the U.S. that love is blind. And uh, so the transla- everything is translated. And so the translator during the break said, Don, are you going to finish that saying, love is blind? And I said, well, that's the saying. And the translator said, she said, um, well, we say here, love is blind, but after you become married, you will see again. And that's kind of what's happened with most of us is after we get married, we really see reality more clearly. We thought we saw what we saw, but it's different. And, um, but what's interesting to me, I don't enjoy premarital counseling that much simply because they're blind. 
You know, you can say, you know, do you see this problem or that or such? No, we're in love. Everything's going to be cool. And it's like, call me in a year or two after you get married, okay? Because uh, you'll look at things differently. And unfortunately, a wall begins to build up between the two of us. And we just feel this friction, this irritation, um, this distance, lack of communication. We get hurt easily, and pretty soon this wall uh, builds up. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through something here um, that um, might help us put this in perspective here. I am not an artist, but um, here's my husband. Here is my wife, not this wife, but a wife. And um, we get married, and pretty soon this wall begins to build up between the two of us to the point that all we see, she even has eyes and a mouth, all she sees and he sees is problems. And we think, maybe I married the wrong person, maybe... uh, Something went wrong, and the result of it is uh, we just become more and more discouraged and hopeless. So my question, I'd like your participation for a moment, and this doesn't have to be your problems, but I would say, what are some problems that some marriages face? And I want to just put them in the stones here, so to speak. So what are, what are some problems? Finances. Finances, okay, good. Intimacy, I'll just for short put sex. Good. Communication, good. Kids, okay. Good. Work, okay. And the list can go on. If you look in your book, we've given you a few suggestions on page three. Money issues, communication, criticism, verbal, emotional abuse, anger, sexual intimacy, sexual addictions, kids, jealousy, avoidance, infidelity or third party, uh, mistrust, control issues, addictions, in-laws, and the list could go on, I'm sure. So here's these problems that have listed or built up. My question is, are these the real problems in the marriage relationship? No. What I want to suggest to you, that a marriage is no better than the people that are in it. We don't come into the marriage and so all of a sudden, boom, all these problems come up. They come from who we are and what we carry into the marriage relationship, what's going on inside of them which I want to suggest that these, um, these problems are more symptoms than root problems. And what we want to do in this course is we want to look at what are the root problems that are really going on deep inside of us in our marriage relationship that we need to look at. Because oftentimes we're just trying to take and manage, uh, whether it's work, finances, or communication, whatever, and we always seem to be putting out fires and never getting any place. So, let me just take this one more step. And what do you think are some of the needs of a wife? What would you say? Security, Security, okay. 
support, okay? Closeness. Oops. You know, kill it. <laughs> it's it's my, I have it on silent, but my son is from Guatemala is FaceTiming me, and the, so I goes through the internet thing. So sorry. Um, closeness, okay. Anything else? To be heard. Loved. Good. Priority. Be a priority. I might just add on here to be number one. Okay. So let me ask you this question. And again, if you look on your notes... Um, on page four, you kind of see the box here um, with the wife and some of the needs. Uh, to be cherished is another one, be understood, so on. Um, so, here's some needs that a wife has. Is it wrong for her to have these needs? No. If a wife came in and said, in counseling, I want to feel number one in my husband's life. I want to feel loved. I want to feel cherished, close, supported, so on. And I said, man, you are a selfish wife. It'd be the last time I'd probably see her, okay? <laughs> but um, you know what? No, God has made her with these needs. They're legitimate needs. The problem is not that she has these needs. And sometimes I hear her husband say, my wife is so needy, she always wants to be first, and she's never happy, and she's always critical, and this and that. And um, no, the issue isn't her needs. The issue is what happens when these needs are not met. That's when the problem begins. When a wife feels loved and such, she's no problem at all. It's when she doesn't feel like she's connecting with her husband or she doesn't feel like she's a priority and such. What she does is she tries to come over here in some way and control, manipulate, get him to change in order to meet her needs. Again, I'm not saying that her needs are wrong, but I'm simply saying the problems arise when we say, I must have these needs met and I'm going to find a way to take and get you to come through for me. Whether it's the way she expresses the disappointment, silence, anger, criticalness, whatever. But she has legitimate needs. So what about the husband here? Does he have needs? And what would they be? And let's list those for a moment. Respect, good one. Be appreciated, good. Intimacy, or I'll just say sex. What's that? <laughs> breakfast in bed. Well, that's a new one, but I'll put it up. It's <laughs> we'll just put bed, whatever happens there. <laughs> oh, oh it, thank you. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you afterwards, okay? <laughs> no. Uh, anything else? Honored. 
valued? Good. So look at your list again on page four <clears throat> for the husband. Uh, wants to feel respected. Uh, he has something to offer, feel valued, feel competent, be heard, physical intimacy, uh, affirmation, so on. Again, is there anything wrong with the husband wanting these needs? No. God made him with these needs. They're legitimate needs. Again, the issue is what does he do when his needs aren't being met? Okay, so when, when he doesn't feel respected, he doesn't get the sexy ones or valued and so on, um, how does he respond? Usually it's with anger or uh, control or withdrawal or silence. And oftentimes what he does is he puts a wall around himself and just says, I'm not letting you in. You know what? Uh, You've hurt me or you're controlling or you're critical. And with the wife, she wants connection. And I'm saying generally, this isn't always the case, but generally she's trying to say, how can I get in here and uh, in some way reach my husband? And perhaps he is, um, um, you know, whether he's having an affair or doing something else, but anyhow, she's trying to reach him, and uh, he won't let her in. And he says, I'm okay in here. Leave me alone. And uh, she keeps trying. So then she, what she does is I'm putting this little symbol up here to refer to God. Uh, I often use this symbol to represent the Godhead. So she kind of takes and solicits God and says, God, sick him, you know, get my husband, straighten him out. And uh, then she gets disappointed because God doesn't change her husband, okay? Um, And she's trying to take and make that happen. And uh, lo and behold, she just kind of gets to the place of, you know what, it seems hopeless, nothing is going to change. And um, what she begins to do at that point, she begins to withdraw from the relationship. And uh, oftentimes she becomes vulnerable to some other guy who will listen to her. A couple of years ago, I was counseling a, a husband. He was going through his third divorce. And... Um, as he was uh, going through it, he said, uh, uh, I'm just giving you the very basic here, but he just said, uh, I, um, he said, uh, I hit on married women. He says, when I'm not married, I'm, I'm, he said, hitting on married women. And I said, why hit on married women versus single women? And he says, because married women are easier to please. They're very discontent. They're usually lonely in their marriage, and they respond well to someone who will pay attention to them. And that's how he found his three wives, is he took them from some other guys. And um, uh, marriages. And what I'm saying is oftentimes the, the, the wife is lonely, and it's not like she said, I want an affair or such, but someone listens to her, someone cares about her and such, and this begins to happen. And so often at least what I see come here sometimes, is all, the husband, all of a sudden the husband wakes up and says, uh, okay, I'm ready to work on the marriage. Just recently, talked with a husband, came in, first time I've met him, and uh, he says, my wife has checked out of the marriage. She hasn't filed for divorce yet, but she's seen an attorney, 
and uh, she's emotionally dead in the marriage relationship, and I want to know what I can do to fix it. And, I, and so we talked, and he struggled with porn. Um, he's angry. He doesn't pursue her and different things. And, um, and then he said this just um, before the session was over. So I said, here's some things I would like to work with you on if you're open to it. And uh, he said, uh, by the way, you might want to know that uh, about three years ago, my, my wife came and got counseling from you. And she tried to work on the marriage, but I wasn't open to it at that time. But now I am. Do you think you can talk to my wife again? And I said, what do you think the chances of your wife coming in now? And he says, I don't think she will talk to you. And I said, I don't think she probably will either. And it's because he wasn't willing to take and address and listen to things back then. And I, I recall, I went back and pulled out the notes, and it showed we had asked for him to come in, and he refused to. And I'm just simply saying, and see how things deteriorate. My point is, these are only symptoms, but here's issues going on that we haven't addressed, and they come from someplace. And what we want to do as we go through the course is help you begin to look at what are you really looking for in your marriage relationship? And what happens when those needs aren't met? And what's at the root of those things? And how can we really begin to put some pieces together so that we can make this work in the right way? So with that, we're going to stop here and take a break for about eight minutes. You're already back there, Jan? So um, if you want to go through that door over there, and um, uh, Jan will open the door and turn on the light and uh, walk through there. There's some refreshments, bathrooms over there, coffee, pop, and that sort of thing there for you, okay? And then we'll start up in just a few minutes. What you are listening to is a Bridge to Life Heart and Soul curriculum taught by Don and Becky Smith. Okay, we'll get ready to begin. So, um... We turned, how many of you are having trouble hearing Becky when she speaks? Some of you? Okay. So uh, we have it almost on max, but um, um, I'm going to put an Energizer uh, battery in her. Maybe she'll get more charged. So, no, I turned it up just a little bit. So if you speak a little louder, I think it may help. Um, it, It is difficult with uh, the air conditioning running, the unit is right above us. You don't hear it as much back there, but... Um, there's something wrong because it used to work. What's that? It used to be louder. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know, we'll get it checked. Okay, so um, we've talked about the wall and uh, what's kind of going on here. Um, so what I, I want to talk about is what, what do we need to do to work on our marriage relationship? And so I'm going to switch to the PowerPoint here. Okay, so turn to, um, well, turn to page six just a moment. Um, so what is our goal as we go through things? I, I just want to mention this. We were designed for something more than just controlling, manipulating each other and getting frustrated. Is this really what God designed our marriage to be? And what I want to suggest to you is that um, I believe that Satan does not want our marriages to work. 
And um, put it simply, your real enemy is not your spouse. Our enemy is Satan. And he tries to get us to believe that Becky, in my case, is my enemy, when in fact he's out to destroy our marriage relationship. So as we get into things, I think that will become more sen- uh, make more sense. But on page 7, I want you to see the three-legged stool. Our destination is to become one in our marriage relationship. And what does that mean? By becoming one, we're not just talking about sexually becoming one, but we're talking about all that I am as a, as a husband. And uh, Becky is a wife and me as a husband. How do we become one? And I have a body, I have a soul, and I have a spirit. And Becky has the same. And the goal is for us to come together in all three areas, body, soul, and spirit. And uh, so we're going to be getting into that deeper, but uh, that's our objective here. And I encourage you to read the chapter uh, this next week so you can kind of get some things. But let's go over to page 8. What does it mean to take and really work on our marriage relationship and uh, our journey of uh, intimacy? Um, You know what? Marriage is not easy. Every marriage struggles to some extent. And uh, I, I just want you to know I absolutely respect you for being here. And I don't know about you, but uh, probably some of you felt like, man, I hate going in there tonight. What are we, we going to do? What is it going to be like? Who's going to be there and such? But by just the virtue of you being here tonight says we're going to fight for our marriage. We want to learn. We want to work on things. And uh, our prayer is, is that... Uh, that will uh, bear fruit for you. But um, what are some things we need to do in order to build intimacy? And so number one is we need to be fit. Uh, what do we need by, mean by being fit? Uh, in other words, we need to work on us. Um, we can only change ourselves. I can't change Becky, but I can work on what does it mean for me to be healthy? Um, Back in 2012, I think it was, uh, I took in um, our son and his family was in Guatemala. And something that's been on my bucket list is to climb a volcano. And so um, I took in, uh, our son said uh, he would take me up there with some of the grandchildren. And we took horses halfway up. And then we got off and I thought we were going to take horses all the way to the top. And I thought this is no problem at all, except we got to a certain point and the rest was all cinder. And the cinder is where you take two steps forward and slide back one and you're clawing your way up this uh, cinder hill, but the volcano. And I quickly realized I am out of shape. My son thought it was hilarious. He took a video of me huffing and panting. And, uh, and in the video clip he took of me dying uh, he, I said, just bury me here on the side of the volcano. I don't care anymore. Uh, I wasn't fit, is my point. And I think a lot of times we're not really fit. We're not healthy. And we know it. If we are really honest about who we are and how we struggle, we're saying, you know what, there's some things I need to really work on. Um, the question I ask sometimes is, would you want to be married to you? I wouldn't want to be married to me. 
I wouldn't put up with half the crap I make her put up with, okay? But yet I think it's okay for her to put up with it, but I wouldn't put up with it. And by that, I, I'm just simply saying, yeah, there's some things I seriously need to look at and work on. And if I truly love Becky, there's some things that I'm not going to do to take, her, take advantage of her or to hurt her. So I, I need to change some things. Uh, often what we try to do is we try to point out each other's problems. Uh, if you uh, ask me, I can tell you a lot of things that Becky should be working on, okay? Um, I'm an expert on Becky. Um, if you ask me, what should I be working on? Well, I'm not perfect, but, um, you know, there's some things, but I'm pretty vague probably at that point. I'm sure I can. Um, I'm still teaching this part here. Um, but uh, you don't have a mic, so you can't talk. Oh, Where's your mic? I think I can talk loud enough, but bye. So be sure you have your mic, though. Okay. Um, but my, my point is, I'm saying this somewhat comical, is the sense that we're, it's hard to look at ourselves honestly. And um, so what does that look like? And to me, I would just simply say, you can only change yourself. I can't change Becky. Uh, but I need to be honest about what's going on inside, and we'll work on that. The next thing here, on uh, the next page, page 9, is we need to have the right equipment. Uh, so each of you received uh, what we call a carabiner tonight. It's a fake one. It's not a real one. Uh, I don't know if we have any up here, but anyhow, you, you know it. You got one. Hopefully you got one. If you don't have one, pick one up at the basket in the back there. Uh, but a carabiner is used, uh, a real carabiner is used when couples, yeah, well, yeah, it's right there in the picture. Um, when we're trying to uh, climb or, or go over glaciers or cliffs or that sort of thing, it, there's two things that are crucial, a rope, uh, a very good rope, and carabiners that we hook around um, uh, the rope and such to stay connected because when you're climbing, you want to stay attached to something for fear of falling, and that saves you. And what we want to suggest to you is that the carabiner represents our desire to stay connected because we're on a, a, a dangerous journey that uh, could easily take us out. And we want to take and focus on really staying connected to God and staying to, uh, connected to each other as we go through this. And so um, we, we can't do this journey um, without help. The next thing I want to point out is number three on page 10, and that is we need an experienced guide. Um, so here's a little background. If you've been struggling in your marriage... There's two possibilities. One is you've kept very secret and no one knows that you're struggling. Or second is you're hurting so much that you're sharing with friends and family members that you have problems, okay? When we first started the ministry and uh, we, were, we were helping couples, a couple would call and say, can we meet with you, Don? And I would think to myself, now how can I get them to talk about their problems and get them to open up? What I quickly learned, if I just shut my mouth, they'll do all the talking. Because when you're hurting, you, you unload it, okay? And that happens sometimes with our friends, with our family members. 
is we share like, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that and, and so on, or she's this and that. And when you share that information with your friends or family, they tend to take that information and take ownership of it, and they hold it against your spouse. I would say in my 36 years of doing this, one of the biggest hindrances of couples getting back together is they, that information has been shared by other people, and they have not taken and forgiven. And so look at it this way. Let's say a husband, we'll just make the husband the no good guy in this situation. The wife has shared information with people at work and with her family members. And then and they, what advice do they say? I would get rid of the, the bum, you know. Uh, I wouldn't put up with that. It's interesting how other people will tell you advice about what you should do in your marriage, but they don't have to walk in your shoes. And then they, so they give her their advice like, you know, you should divorce him or, or I wouldn't do that, or put up with that. And, uh, and then you, someone says, uh, why don't you attend Bridge Life's marriage class or go for counseling someplace or whatever? And um, you tell your friends you're going for counseling. They say, why are you going for counseling? You know what? I wouldn't work on that marriage. You know, I thought you were going to get rid of him. I thought you saw a divorce, a divorce attorney or something. And the message here is then you look like the fool because... They don't, they don't want you to get back. And, and basically it's this, especially family members, they don't want to see you hurt anymore. And so they're just trying to protect you. Now, if you want to work on your marriage, can I make a suggestion, even if you've told everybody about your marriage problems? Stop. Stop sharing it with other people, even family members. And, you're, and some of you are going to say, but I've shared with different ones, and you know what? Um, if I don't share with them, they're going to be hurt. They're going to be upset and mad at me. So let me tell you something. If you've shared with other people, and they ask, well, how's your marriage going? Can I make a suggestion? I would say this. My wife and I, or my husband and I, are going for counseling. We're taking a marriage class, da-da-da. And uh, I know you care about us. And, and the best thing that you can do is pray for us. But they're used to getting the juicy stuff, okay? And so they're going to be upset. Well, like, you know, well, no, what's, what's going on? What's happening? And they're going to be upset if you don't tell them. Here's the deal. If they really love you, they will respect what you ask of them. It's the people that want to use you and feed off of the gossip and such that are not, who are going to be mad at you you're going to find out real quick who's really loyal to you and who isn't if they respect what you ask. And I think that just to say simply like this, I apologize for sharing things that were inappropriate with you. And I shouldn't have. But you know what? I'm going, uh, I'm asking if you would pray for us. We need prayer. We're going to see what God will do. I don't know yet. But the best thing you can do if you really care is to pray. And I would say at this point forward, I'm not going to share we're going to leave it in the class. We're going to leave it with the counselor and leave it there. Uh, and uh, we need a fresh start. The next thing, next point, is uh, we need a map. And by that, I simply mean that um, God designed marriage, and therefore he must have something to say about it. 
Um, I, I think there's a lot of advice out there, um, and I'm, I'm simply saying there are some good ideas and such, but ultimately God is the one who says, I know exactly how marriage should be designed and how to meet needs. And so what we're going to be doing through the class is uh, just looking at it from uh, God's point of view. Just for I don't know where all of you are coming from. We're, I'm not going to be preaching at you. I'm not here to take and cram anything down your throat. But I just come from the premise that if God created marriage and created us, he must have something to say about us. And I want to know what that is. Um, the next point is uh, making uh, the journey uh, as far as uh, taking it one step at a time. I don't know how you are, but usually we want things to be fixed quickly. Uh, met with a husband um, just not too long ago, and he said, Don, I've been trying to work at my marriage for a long time. Uh, he says, we've seen a couple counselors, but um, if things don't change, I'm done. And I, I said, um, why are you done? And I said, don't you love your wife? Yeah, I do, but she's not responding. And I can't, I can't fathom the idea of being in a marriage where my wife isn't going to respond to me. And my comment was, if you love someone, you do whatever is necessary to fight the battles that needs to be done in order to, to win that, uh, work through those issues. And um, healing takes time. We didn't get in the situations we're in overnight. It's not like you woke up this morning and said, oh, we're having marriage problems. Let's go to that bridge life thing tonight. It's been going on for some time, and the feelings have been progressing to the point of just feeling hopeless, confused, or desperate. And finally, it's like, okay, we need to do something. Let's see what we can do. And so um, the other question I want to ask is, what if your spouse isn't ready to work on the marriage or isn't willing to work on the marriage? Um, every situation is different, but put it in this context. If your spouse is unwilling to work at the marriage, it's very possible that they have been deeply hurt in some way. And they've come to kind of a place of probably hopelessness in the sense of I don't know if he or she can change and uh, whether it's worth going on. And we're kind of frustrated that they're not getting with it. You're not going to the class. You're not going for counseling. You're not reading the books. You're not whatever. And I would say, and they really don't care at this point because they've been so worn out. They've been so um, disappointed and hurt. The best illustration I can think of is this, that let's say we go on a cruise together. And uh, the, the cruise ship sinks, and um, we make it to an island, at least a few of us. I'm in that group, okay? And um, I don't know about you, but I made it. And so we, we take in, um, um, it's days before I'm discovered. And I'm rescued, but I've been probably 30 days without eating, and uh, I'm dehydrated, and, and um, I'm weak. I can hardly stand up. They rescue me. They take me to a hospital, put me on IVs, and I'm there for a few weeks recuperating, getting healthy. 
But as soon as I get back to the, off to, to the mainland, to safety, what they do is they put a bunch of food in front of me and say, Don, eat. You know, you, now you have food. You haven't had food for 30 days, and here's all the things that'll help you. You know what? My system is so deteriorated, I can't eat solid food. At best, they might be giving me jello or liquid soup of some sort, an IV. Some of you have been in the hospital, and you know what I'm talking about. And um, because I'm not able to digest all of that, because I've been so worn out. That's what happens in our marriage relationships sometimes, is that our spouse is so worn out, nothing seems appetizing to them. They're not even even to process some things. And we're upset that they're not eating the good food. What I would suggest is would you just patiently take and allow them to heal at the speed that they need to, and you work on what you need to in the midst of it, but we take it one step at a time. The next thing is we cannot control um, or demand that our spouse change. This is a sub-point of, what we, uh, of the main point here. Um, and so I kind of talked about that, so let me go on to the next one. Uh, you can only, uh, you need to have character. I'm not saying you are a character. I'm saying you need to have character. And What does that mean? In other words, do you have the perseverance to really take a serious look at yourself? It's not easy to be honest with yourself. Um, I would say some of us, and I don't want to lump everyone in here because there's probably someone who doesn't fit. But the most, most of us know what we struggle with. We just haven't taken it seriously to work on it. And my fear is, is that uh, in the midst of um, where we're at, where we're at uh, I, I like the verse in Jeremiah here, 17. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Where have we fooled ourselves? Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is the lies that we believe about ourselves. And, um, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not healthy or I'm not worthwhile. Nobody loves me. I'm not lovable. I'm the black sheep or whatever it is. But we believe lies and we've stuck with those things. And part of going through this class is we want you to really look at what is the truth about yourself so that you can love well. Did you want to say something? Yeah. Um, For me, it was watching him start to grow and start to take a look at his stuff because I was terrified to look at my own stuff. I didn't want to go to counseling because I I was afraid, you know, what would come out that I was the problem. Um, But then to start to see him take a look at his stuff gave me courage, and I liked what I saw, that he was taking a look at his stuff and he was owning his stuff. It gave me the courage to even go to counseling. And, um, you know, one of the things, so... When we started the ministry, um, we started helping people, but I realized I needed more education. Um, so I started working on my master's in uh, counseling at uh, Grace Seminary. And one of the things they teach you there is if you're to help other people, you need to work on yourself because you cannot take anyone farther than what you've gone yourself. So the objective was is we're going to work on you. And as we work on you, then you will help understand things so you can help somebody else, which terrified me 
Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, so therefore I thought I had no problems. Did I struggle a little bit? Yeah, but uh, nothing serious. And uh, when they said, we're going to work on you, I remember that first session where they broke us up into small groups to do this. And, one of, and I'm thinking to myself, but I don't really have that much wrong. And um, another guy next to me, because there was, uh, I think, eight of us in this small group, and uh, the next guy said, but what if we don't have anything? Should we make something up so you can counsel us? That was the wrong question to ask, okay? The counselor, Dr. Allender, said, um, don't worry about it. Um, just leave that to me, which puts more fear in you, okay? What is he really going to find out? And I remember going to the first counseling session, and um, he asked me some questions about my background and my life and different things. And, and I thought, man, this counseling's pretty easy. You know, it's uh, not bad at all. And, uh, and just before he ends it, he says, Don, you're angry at your dad, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not. He says, I think you're angry at your dad. He walked out of the room, and at that point, I said to myself, I'm angry that he said I'm angry at my dad. That's where the problem is. And soon I found out, yeah, I have some deep-seated anger toward my dad, which you'll find out about next week. So, you know what? Part of it, looking and working on ourselves, has to do with what's really going on inside of us. And do we take the risk? The next one is, on page 12, is uh, it's going to take perseverance. We can't give up. Um, sometimes it's like, well, I, I don't see the changes I want, and therefore um, I'm, I'm discouraged and I want to give up. Uh, the bottom line is uh, sometimes giving up just seems like it end the pain. But I've been doing this long enough to know that when you give up, you carry that baggage to the next relationship. It will show up because it goes with you, that baggage. And what happens is, and it will affect that relationship unless you take the chance to, um, to work through it. So my thing is, don't give up on your marriage, but let's, let's work through it. Um, years ago, there was a, a husband who... Um, been divorced and married, uh, or married and divorced five times. And um, in the midst of that, um, his, he, for each wife, he came to bridge to life. And uh, the first one, you know, she's not good, and she's this and that, and divorced her, and uh, like two or three years later, he shows up with a new wife, and kind of the same issues, and we're talking about it, and... Uh, it didn't change quick enough, and he brought her to this class, and um, so didn't see him again. Two, three, four years later, he comes with another wife, and I said to him, I said, here's, here's what I perceive, is either you're the problem, or you're not good at picking wives, okay? Because with each wife, and all five of them, there's serious problems, and he kept saying to me, but Don, you don't understand. You're not fixing her. And I said, the problem is you're not getting fixed because it's the same thing in all five marriages. And he couldn't see it or didn't want to see it. And I'm simply saying um, perseverance means I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to take and 
use divorce as an easy way out, and I'm going to persevere the pain. The next one is <clears throat> number or page 13, overcoming the obstacles. What are the obstacles that's in your uh, marriage relationship? <clears throat> um, we put a list there a little bit. Um, a partner who will not forgive, a partner who will not invest energy into the relationship, a partner who will not be honest, a partner who cannot be trusted, family members or friends who interfere, or new problems that may arise that usually do. And my, my question here is, there's always going to be obstacles, but there's a root to them. There's, there's things going on behind these things that we need to be willing to uh, persevere. And usually we feel powerless in the midst of dealing with them, Uh, We feel like, I don't know if it will change, but one of the things we ask you to do is the class series is 12 weeks long, and we're going to walk you through a process, and uh, as it builds, you will begin to see, uh, as you you work on assignments and kind of uh, go through the process, um, some things really come to light that will help you look at things differently. So on page... um, Um, 14. Um, Let let me just share here um, the poem. You see the poem? Um, I got to tell you a little story about it first. Um, Years ago, there was a couple that came to us. The husband was controlling, uh, angry, and the wife didn't trust him, and so she separated and uh, he came, someone told him, come to Bridge to Life. And so uh, he did. He got his wife to come for counseling in the classes. And as they did, um, um, he was sure the reason why she was separated was because she had a boyfriend. She didn't, but he thought she did. And so um, uh, he bugged her phone in her apartment so you can tell this is years ago, and uh, thinking he would find out who this boyfriend was. There was a boyfriend, but uh, she found out the bug in the phone. And at that point, she was angry, and she says, I'm done with counseling. I'm not going to the classes anymore. I cannot trust you. And in good faith, I was trying to work on our marriage. And, uh, and so she said, I'm done. So I was in a meeting in Grand Haven, got a phone call. Uh, this is late in the evening. Uh, he had called our home, and uh, our kids called and just said, um, this guy really needs to see you. So I said, okay, I'll meet you at our office at that time. He comes in, and he's just distraught, and he tells me about what he's done. He's so sorry, and he's blowing it, and his wife has given up. And as we talk, I, I find out from him that he has a shotgun in the car that after he leaves me, he's going to go and kill her and kill himself. And so I got him to stay there. We talked until about 3 in the morning. I got someone to come and take his uh, shotgun. And um, then I got another person to come and take him and spend time with him. And and we got him through that crisis and began to work on some things. But he lost his marriage. But as we were talking late into the night there, and I was sitting at my desk, and I was just fiddling with some papers, because when you're up at 2 in the morning, Sitting there, your brain is going places. And someone had laid on my desk, I have no idea to this day, 
who did, but it was this poem on a little card. And let me read the um, poem to you. And as I was sitting there talking to him, I read it, and I read it to him. And uh, so here it is. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God, who was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, How can you be so slow? My child, he said, What could I do? You never did let go. And what happens is we don't let go of our spouse. We try to control and manipulate them and such. And that night I told him, you have to let go of your wife. He moved to Florida. And about a year later, he uh, sent me a package. And in the package, I still have it to this day, a plaque which had this poem on it. And on the back, he wrote, thank you for saving my life that night. And, and walking through all that with me. But the point is, is we're trying to get God to change our spouse and such, and God says, it, it would be like me having my hands around Becky's neck and shaking her and trying to get her to do what's right. And God says, Don, I can't do anything with her until you let go. Am I willing to take my hands off? It really boils down to this. Can I trust God to work? Because I think I know better than God is basically what it is. And I need to take my hands off and say, Lord, I give Becky to you in the midst of this. So let me end with this story. In the, um, so it's a Bible story. Some of you may be familiar with it, others not. But uh, if you recall, the children of Israel were in Egypt. And you remember the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments and if you, some of you in Older ones remember that was a big movie at one time. But uh, the children of Israel were in um, Egypt. And uh, so what does that look like? Over here is Egypt. And uh, God says, I want to lead you out of Egypt into the promised land, into Israel here. And in the midst of that, um, Moses led the children of Israel out of across the Red Sea someplace and across the wilderness here. And they get to a place called Kadesh Barnea, right here, um, right there. They get there, and God says, stop here. And as you stop, um, I want you to send 12 spies into the promised land to see what it's like. And so they select 12 men. As they go into the promised land, they come back with a report that there's giants that live in the land. And the the land is fruitful, a lot of fruit. In fact, uh, they brought back vines they had to carry uh, like grapes and such that were on poles. They were so big and, and luscious. And uh, they said, but we can't go in there to the promised land that you have promised us because there's giants in the land. In fact, the exact words were, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. So we can't do that. But God said, I gave you the land. Just go and possess it. No, we can't because there's giants. And so the children of Israel believe the spies. There was two spies that said, let's go take the land. Ten others said, no, we can't. We'll be killed. And God says, because you would not trust me to possess the land, you will wander in the wilderness for 40 years until um, the older people, 20 years and older, die off. 
Now, you've heard about the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. It wasn't because they were lost. It was because God says, because of your unbelief, belief, you're going to um, uh, not enter the land that I promised to you. It would be the younger ones that will do that. Later, the children of Israel do go into, 40 years later, they go into the promised land. They come to some cities they have to conquer. In one of the cities, they send two spies. And there's a woman that lets them into her um, little house type thing. And uh, her name is Rahab. And she says to to the spies, we have heard about your people and what God has done for your people. And we are scared to death because of your God. Now, do you hear the connection? The children of Israel are afraid of these giants. Two spies go to one of the giants' uh, cities and find out those, those giants are scared to death of Israel's God because they've heard of what God has done. Is it possible tonight that your spouse seems like a giant? Someone that, you know, um, nothing will change them. They're, they're, they're doing their thing, and uh, they can't be conquered, so to speak. And you feel like it's hopeless. I want to say, are you looking at your spouse or are you looking at God? If you're looking at your spouse, they're going to seem like a giant. And you're going to get discouraged. You're going to feel hopeless. The cancer of a marriage is hopelessness. And it will do crazy things to you to the point of giving up. Our hope, our prayer for you as we go through the course here is that you will take the time to walk through the process and really look at yourself because a marriage is no better than the people that are in it. And you'll allow God to just do the work that he needs to. And uh, we'll just see what that process looks like. And we'll begin that process next week uh, as we kind of look at uh, some of the things. So um, I can't think of anything else we need to say tonight, do you? So there's the exercise again on page, what, 17? Um, encourage you to fill out this week and uh, read through the lesson because there's a lot of stuff that's in there that I didn't have a chance to share with you. But um, uh, kind of just uh, think through it as you go through there. And if you have a chance, read chapter 2 because that's what we'll be talking about next week. Uh, just in case, is there any questions anybody has tonight? Yes. Yeah, um, if you can do it together, together is always good. But um, if, if one of you is hesitant, uh, then do it separately. I, I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. And sometimes in a relationship, I'm not saying that's, that's you guys, but I don't even know you, so I can, except I sat in your chair. But, uh, but uh, you know, sometimes some couples feel like I, I need my own space to work on this, and I don't want to feel controlled or pressured. So if that's the case, do it on your own. It's okay. But if you can do it together and discuss it, that's better. Okay? Well, listen, thank you. It's been good to see you. We'll see you next week. Okay? You've been listening to the latest curriculum produced by Bridge to Life Ministries with your hosts, Don and Becky Smith. If you'd like more information, go to our website, bridge to life dot o r g